On this episode of The Playbook, I have Brent Bellum, CEO and Chairman of Big Commerce, and we're going to talk about how Big Commerce creates freedom for all. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have Brent Bellum, CEO and Chairman of Big Commerce, here on The Playbook. Welcome, Brent. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, David. Well, it's so exciting to have someone in the big open data space because I think still today we can't understand the size, scope, and scale of how important data is. You know, I've had some quantum computing people on here. I've been in data a long time uh, in the sports world, uh, especially with gambling becoming so legalized worldwide. That's some of the most valuable data that we can get because those people are worth so much. Um, you're now launching or have launched the B2B edition uh, for big commerce. I thought maybe you'd give me a little bit of your perspective of how important this data is in what you do and how you do it. Great. So uh, just the basics. Big commerce is a software platform that businesses use to create and manage their e-commerce stores. So whether their e-commerce store is selling to consumers or to businesses or to both, we're the world's second largest e-commerce platform uh, that is software as a service. We have over 60,000 customers, you know, including some of the world's biggest brand names across all categories. Uh, and that's fundamentally what customers use BigCommerce to do. It's for their online stores, their online selling. You just mentioned two big announcements we've made in the last week. One is around our B2B edition, uh, which is sort of a, a pre-packaged set of additional functionality for sellers who are selling business to business, as well as what was announced just yesterday, which is our open data platform. Um, in general, one of the things that makes us different is that as a software as a service platform, we are the most open and flexible. And open and flexible, among other things, in this case, means we want our customers to have total and complete access to control of their data and ability to use their data. So we've done something that is unprecedented and extremely powerful for an e-commerce platform. Every one of our pro or enterprise customers has their own data warehouse within Google BigQuery that they can then use to append data, own their data. They can add business analytics tools on top of it, personalization tools, uh, analytic enhancement tools like segment or Google Analytics, um, you know, Facebook pixel uh, information. And so this open access to emergence data is really valuable, whether you're just analyzing your business or actually trying to power personalization and other experiences on your website with it. And, you know, with big commerce before the B2B edition or the big open data solution that you have, uh, your reputation you know, around the world has been simplicity, you know, where a lot of people, it's so complex. There's so many bells and whistles that the utility 
of the SaaS solution, I think got interfered with. And yet, you know, as far as my personal experience and perception has always been, that's the simplest solution, yes. but it's extremely powerful. You know, what is Big Commerce's uh, perspective or goal when it comes to simplicity uh, or, or any types of UI that's specific to helping the consumer and now the other business members? I'm going to answer that question with a bit of a sort of a historical overview of how e-commerce has evolved around the world. So if you go back to the late 90s, uh, when e-commerce was just beginning, companies to create an e-commerce website had to buy all this software, all this hardware, figure out how to host it and secure it and integrate it, and it was a nightmare. Um, I bet my career once back at the end of 99, beginning of 2000, on a different model, a model where instead the software was served up over the internet. You didn't have to license it. You didn't have to own it. You didn't need your own army of software engineers and IT professionals. They didn't even call it SaaS back then, software as a service. They called it the ASP model. Uh, but the company I joined called Escalate was one of maybe five around the world. There was Yahoo Stores, Volusion, Blue Martini. We were sort of the early versions of SaaS as a platform in e-commerce. Um, Great idea, it was too early and it wasn't a success, right? So I failed uh, in that first uh, attempt that, of a company that I joined. And then lo and behold, uh, 15 years later, I got a headhunter call to come in and take over for the founders of Big Commerce. And this is 2015. So imagine you know, me as a CEO going into a company that has 500 competitors around the world we're late to market. Yes, we've risen to number two in the world as a software as a service platform, but we are five years behind Shopify, our top competitor, who was doing the exact same thing as us. We were both focused on small business, trying to make it so easy that somebody could come in and start a store in an hour or two, right? We were doing the exact same thing. And I said to everybody, hey, you know, congrats, you rose to number two in the world. The bad news is that Number one had a five-year head start. They just IPO'd and we're not going to catch them doing the exact same thing. So this now comes into the uh, sort of the entrepreneur's playbook. What do you do when you've already lost in your core business and you're in a super competitive industry? Well, the good news is I knew what to do. And that was, I had a lot of experience. I was at eBay, PayPal when they were buying Magento. And I said, it makes no sense that in the year 2015, the world's largest platform in the mid-market and large enterprise, Magento, is licensed software. Because licensed software basically says the company has to buy the software and with engineering talent, secure it, manage it, version it, upgrade it, integrate it, do all those things that are super hard. I said, that needs to be displaced. It is time for SaaS, not just to compete for small business, but to bring the performance and the ease of use advantages into the mid-market and into large, the world's largest enterprises. So we shifted our target customer from a small business to the mid-market and large enterprise. And this is textbook disruptive innovation. If you go back and read the original books from Clay Christensen who coined the term, I got lucky. When I was in business school in 1997, I took his class. This is before his book was published, before he became famous, but all of the, all of the cases in the class became chapters in his book. And he basically says all of his case studies of disruptive technology 
are technologies like big commerce that start at the underserved low end of the market. They focus on small business who want something simpler, cheaper, faster, easier than the really expensive market leader. They want that. And so you start there, you gain scale, and then you become disruptive if you choose to extend up market. If you choose to say, now I'm going to add some performance and go to the mid-market and see if the mid-market wants something simpler, faster, cheaper, and easier than whoever the market leader is. Well, the market leader was Magento in the mid-market. And so we went after Magento. And now we're going after even you know, the Oracles and the SAPs uh, of the world, the sales forces of the world at the highest end of the market. It is textbook disruptive innovation. Um, is the playbook that we are running. And um, we, we think it's exactly what the world needs, the benefits of speed, performance, simplicity, low cost to make e-commerce easy and successful. And what impact uh, does that have on the professional services business, the consultative services that, you know, a lot of times make uh, these old legacy platforms, uh, you know, so expensive? but also so inherently ingrained in, you know, our fortune 500 businesses and yeah. fortune thousand, you know, the, the larger enterprises uh, that it seems to be a socialization even more than it is a necessity. Yeah. So for our small businesses, 80% of them self-serve. They, they never need outside assistance. They create their own store using our, our interactive tools. For our enterprise customers, it's the opposite. 80% still will use an outside digital agency for some version of strategy, design, systems integration, implementation. 80% still use that. The challenge for those agencies is that if the customer was deploying on-premise software like Magento, the time and the fees would be five times as high as they would be with, you know, maybe not five, somewhere between two to five times as high as it would be with big commerce. And so they make less money. However, five years ago, they said, okay, so I, a lot of them would say, uh, I'm going to try to defend my expensive on-premise software deployment business. But then they kept losing all the deals. The merchants said, I don't want on-premise software. I don't want to pay two to five X. I don't want to be burdened with all this owned licensed software. Uh, and so one by one over time, they realize, okay, it's not just the future of SaaS, the present of SaaS. And at, at least I've got to diversify. I've got to be able to serve a customer, whether they want on-premise software or they want SaaS. So they've almost all migrated. And that's even true if you go up to the very, very highest rung on the ladder. You know, the highest rung on the ladder is going to be companies like Accenture and Deloitte and ENY, you know, WPP, EPM, uh, companies that once upon a time, maybe their business was entirely on-premise software implementation. You know, they all they all themselves now know the present and the future is primarily SaaS. And so they will serve both. They'll make less on an implementation like us, but the same amount per hour of work. They just have to do more business. Right. And I think it was interesting that you, you know, mentioned Salesforce up there with Oracle and SAP. Uh, you know, working in the middleware space in the mid-90s up in the Silicon Valley and Benioff, you know, just launching Salesforce as one of the, the first SFAs 
that wasn't, you know, uh, the old uh, license system of on-premise software, uh, you know, and mobilizing uh, it. it. It's interesting. You can see where big commerce in that relationship with the big four in the big consulting firms and even the mid-market consulting firms uh, that they'll just figure out how still to generate the revenue that they need just in a different manner. Um, well, Salesforce, I'll just say, you know, in credit to them, they are a great example of disruptive technology. They're just like us in the sense that their core sales professional management uh, offering, which is SaaS, like my company Escalate used that back in 99, 2000, when salesforce.com was brand new. We had a quota carrying team of six people and we used it. Now the biggest companies in the world are using Salesforce to manage their Salesforce, but so are small ones just starting out. Classic disruptive technology, simpler, faster, and easier starting at the low end, and then they scale up over time. Yeah, that's exactly what I saw in what you were describing. Um, now, the pandemic itself has its positives and negatives on impacting companies like yours. What helped you get through the pandemic at Big Commerce? Because you definitely you know, had the still extraordinary growth uh, throughout the pandemic. Talk about a crazy roller coaster. Um, when the pandemic hit, we were only about six weeks away from a planned IPO. So you go back to March 11th, when it was declared last year, we were targeting our IPO on April 23rd. We were that close. Uh, we hadn't publicly flipped yet, but we were, you know, days away from it. All of a sudden, it looks like the world's ending. IPO window closes. Um, you know, our investors and board are panicking about their portfolios in general. We, of course, don't know any better than any other company how this whole thing is going to impact our customers and our business uh, and how we run it. Uh, and, you know, we even sort of panicked and said, okay, there's an offer on the table to buy us. Um, why don't we enter an LOI? To do that, it was only a week or two as we started to see the numbers and we realized, hey, this pandemic thing's good for e-commerce. Our customers' businesses are skyrocketing. New businesses are flooding in the door. If we were a good enough company to IPO before a pandemic, we look two to three times as good right now. So long story short is the sale of the company didn't happen. We got ourselves out of that. And we IPO'd very successfully in August, you know, by a lot of metrics in terms of like, you know, market cap relative to revenue, um, initial pricing, initial trade relative to pricing. We were one of the top three to five software IPOs uh, ever up until that point. Um, and that was the sort of how the pandemic helped everybody realize that a world in which Consumers and businesses are reliant on the internet for selling and buying, even if it's buy online, local delivery, or pick up in store. It's the present, not the future. We're, we're, this world has just completely changed. And what's cool about our company and gets us so fired up is we get to serve all these companies and all these consumers. Like we are trying to be the most open, nimble, powerful platform in the world for a business to do and run its e commerce. That whole I'm saved, and we had a lot of customers who had to save themselves. They got a little flat-footed. Um, suddenly, their online channel had to go from like a small fraction of their total to everything, uh, and we saved a lot of businesses 
uh, and they're thriving now because we were there for them and the solution they needed. And last question real quick, you know, obviously coming out of the pandemic here in California, we're on day one or two, I don't know which, which day it is of no mass and, and the freedom uh, that we're feeling has been extraordinary, even with the hot weather. Um, there seems to be an outlook of freedom uh, that uh, big commerce provides. And I use that word uh, very calculated uh, in knowing SaaS solutions and understanding e-commerce and understanding the pandemic, where it strengthened your business and what, you know, and where it put it at jeopardy. Where is your outlook on the freedom that uh, big commerce is going to provide uh, moving forward for the future? Uh, I love that analogy to freedom. And, and yes, I was in my first business trip in a year was to California like two weeks ago uh, before the formal opening, but it was all starting to happen. I love that. We believe that uh, one of the most essential components of freedom going forward is the liberation for consumers and businesses uh, to be able to purchase whatever they want from their home, even if it's for local delivery, for local pickup. And it's that integration of the online and the offline world was, whereas pre-pandemic, it was more than 80% offline. And what you could do online wasn't connected to it. You couldn't actually go to a, a website and see what items were in stock in the local store for that. And so we're, we're bringing all of that together for our customers who have physical world points of sale in addition to online websites. We're helping those integrate. We're enabling uh, you know, the buy online, pick up in store. Uh, and, and so there's far more freedom in terms of your purchasing options today, uh, assuming you know, you're using a, a platform like BigCommerce than what existed uh, before the pandemic. Yeah, no, I can see just huge opportunity for everyone utilizing uh, big commerce. And I think that's what makes it so nice. It's an empowering SaaS solution that, you know, sits by my motto of making a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun with that integration of the traditional business with the e-commerce business. And we can see that uh, amalgamation taking place. Uh, just such an extraordinary story, such an extraordinary business, especially considering the pandemic. And I can just imagine from April until the IPO, how much fun that roller coaster was with all the experience you've had with HomeAway and PayPal and, you know, the Ivy League education that you received, uh, you know, even through all of those experiences and extraordinary education, you were probably sitting there like me going, wow, nobody ever prepared me for this one uh, in my wildest dreams. But you know what? When you're a dreamer and someone who can actualize those dreams, uh, sometimes extraordinary change creates extraordinary opportunity, which you've been able to take advantage of. Brett Bellum, CEO and chairman of Big Commerce. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.